I'm Brandon. And I'm Julianne. And welcome to Movie Quest. What is up, my fellow nerds? Welcome back to the Movie Quest podcast presented by Nerd Nexus. In this episode, Julianne and I discuss the final film in MCU's Phase 2. That's right, it's 2015's Ant-Man, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Michael Douglas. Let's check it out. Are you ready to get small? (laughs) Ready to get ant-sized. Yes. Well, that's what we're doing. But also sometimes big, because that's what Ant-Man does. He can be Ant-Man or Elephant Man, but not the kind that has the deformity. (laughs) Interesting intro to our next movie quest movie. That's right. We are watching today the final movie of MCU Phase 2. It is 2015's Ant-Man. Starring Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is in this also. And a couple other people you, where you'll be like, oh, hey, it's that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fun. So, you know, it's like a sunny day. It's a weekend. I mean, where it's nice outside. And we're going to do this daytime. And I think this is a really appropriate movie for a daytime because I think much more so than like other Marvel movies, this one's pretty lighthearted. It's nice when we have it's actually MLK Day, um, so we have an extra day off work. Um, and it's nice to be able to do the pre recording, watch the movie, and the post recording all in one day. Yeah, because I'm the reason that we can't do that because when we do it in the evenings, I get too tired and then. Anytime you guys hear me on here sounding like I'm tired, it's because I am. Fading away. Yeah, I have to use hand signals that y'all can't see to uh, keep Julianne uh, in the in the game sometimes. But I'm, I'm uh, I don't know. I would say that I'm somewhat excited for this movie. I love Michael Douglas. I loved him in the game. I know that movie was like from forever ago. It really is. I watched wow. Evangeline Lilly in Lost and liked her. Um, although she said some controversial things about um, the pandemic when they first, like, last year, March yeah. 2020, that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth, but we'll let that slide. And then uh, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer from Grease 2, so <laughs> good. Right. <laughs> and then Paul Rudd from Clueless. I'm living old school, but I don't really, I don't know, Paul Rudd's current movie shtick sense of humor I'm not really down with. Yeah. I don't know. We'll I mean, it's interesting to he's never been really in a role like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, I guess you could classify as an action adventure kind of movie, but it's definitely heavy heavy on comedy as well. But um yeah, it's definitely a, an interesting turn for him and I am interested to see at the end if you kind of bought it or or not. Because I mean, at this point, you know, and, and I pr- I promise you it continues, but Marvel has just hit on all of their casting. I mean, my biggest question actually was Chris Hemsworth back in the day when he was first cast as Thor, I was like, who? 
I don't know who this guy is. And he's perfect. Yeah, and he's so perfect. Like, he's even more perfect later than he is even as you know him now. And, you know, they nailed it with Chris Pratt. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they just have not missed. And so, you know, you got to give him credit going into this movie to a certain degree. I always keep an open mind with whatever movie I watch, especially in our movie quest. I'll I'll give it a try. I'm not going to go and hating, but I'm yeah. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical with Paul Rudd. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so you told me yesterday that th- since this is the last um, MCU film in Phase 2, that you want to take a little bit of a break from this for a little while. Is that right? Yes. I think a two-week break would be good, just because, like I've said in past podcasts, like this is not really my genre, and it, it takes a lot of brain power and emotion power to like invest myself in these movies and I want to watch them and I want to pay attention and I want to give my all. But I feel like this type of movie, like looking at the genre, even on the screen here, because we have the, um, the title card up on Disney Plus for Ant-Man, it says science fiction. Um, an action adventure in addition to comedy. I watch one science fiction movie every three years. I watch one action adventure movie every three years. So it's like watching two, at least one a week is like a lot for me. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm not getting burned out on these movies. I mean, they're so good. I just don't want. We're avoiding burnout. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, it's hard because we have a lot going, we know we both have full-time jobs, we have a lot going on, and there, you know, I find myself not always able to do exactly what I want to do in the evening because we have these to do. Um, So I just want to kind of take a little break, do some other things, but then we'll be right back on it. All right. I'm Honestly, because I haven't even published a single episode yet, I doubt that any listener would even notice because... By the time that these are all out, you know, we have 12 of them to publish. If I do one a week, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody will ever even know. But I think this is a good time to take a break because once we get going after this film, it goes fast. It's mm-hmm. going to go real fast because I'm, there's a big plot that's happening across multiple films. Isn't Black Panther the next one? No, the very next oh, movie that we'll watch is Captain America Civil War. Okay. I'm excited to watch black panther so i'll be excited to kind of gear up again and yeah good so let me ask you a question do you know who edgar wright is uh nope all right have you ever seen Shaun of the dead have you ever seen um hot fuzz have you ever seen i think i'm picturing someone baby driver you're probably picturing the red-headed Simon Pegg. Oh, yeah, right? the like, very English-looking dude. Yes, and uh, his buddy Nick Frost, they are both in Hot Fuzz and um, Shaun of the Dead. Huh, okay. You've never seen either of these movies? I think I've seen Shaun of the Dead. I don't like zombie movies. Have, have <laughs> there's you, a lot of things I don't like. That, that's actually quite true. And I, just, I think there's a difference between being picky and particular. It's not like I'm like, ew, zombie movies suck, but I've never seen them. Like, I've okay. seen a lot of zombie movies, but I don't like them. Fair enough. So, Edgar Wright was known for, um, he directed a lot of, like, he did. He started off in TV in England, and then like his big break was when he directed Shaun of the Dead, starring Simon Pegg, who he'd worked with in the past, and uh, they were buddies from their young years and stuff like that. And Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz in particular are, send-ups of their genre films. 
it is a zombie movie, sure, but it's also making fun of every single zombie movie. Like the right. entire goal of it's a comedy more than it is anything else. And for it to be funny, you have to have seen all the other zombie movies. I remember the opening scene was really gory, and I was just like, nah. well, that's, that's zombie movie. I know, yeah. And, like, <laughs> some of the stuff that they do in there, they're like, make it overly gory. Like, how gory could we make this? And there's a certain threshold that you pass where it's hilarious. And um, Hot Fuzz is a movie about police. And it, it basically makes fun of every single police movie that ever existed. Mm. And uh, that's their goal. So, so Edgar... Is this the same director? No. Oh. But I'm telling you a story. Oh. So Edgar Wright, uh, and he also directed Baby Driver, which uh, starring... Ansel. Ansel Elgort. I love it. As do many girls. Um, women. And uh, also girls and women. Um, and so... He uh, he kind of has a, a penchant for like playing with genre. He does a lot of different stuff, and he can do a lot of different stuff well. And it's because he has a, a long history of watching film, and he's just a, just looks at everybody's catalog and everyone's milieu, and kind of takes and pieces his own things together. Uh, he's kind of like Ryan Johnson in that way. But um, he originally approached Marvel to make. Ant-Man a film way back in like 2006 okay. and he was attached to direct it when they actually like announced this in like somewhere around 2010 I would probably say it was Edgar, it was going to be an Edgar Wright movie which is crazy because he had never directed a superhero type movie but I think in the same way that Marvel decided to go with the Russo brothers for Captain America's Civil War or sorry, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Civil War, is because they had worked on Community, the TV show, where they had played with genre. They understand the tropes. They understand what makes it work, and they understand what doesn't make it work. And so the entire world was extremely, extremely excited for the Edgar Wright version of Ant-Man. And I don't even know that they had started casting and stuff, but I think he was storyboarding. The script was done. They were storyboarding. And he had a whole movie planned out. And then he left the project. And the entire nerd community was devastated because we all thought that we were robbed um, of of the possibility of seeing an Edgar Wright superhero movie with a superhero as wacky as Ant-Man. So why do you leave? Well, they say that it was um, creative differences, that classic reasoning for bailing on projects. And honestly, I can see that because Edgar Wright is a singularly driven filmmaker who has his own vision. And the truth is, is that in the grand scheme of the MCU, you have to be able to fit into the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And there might have been some plot point that him and Kevin Feige disagreed on, uh, but apparently Edgar Wright's vision didn't fit with the vision of the MCU and its executive producers and stuff. So he left the project, which is unfortunate. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it didn't torpedo the project though. They kind of, there was a lot of rumor. This was like a big thing in the industry back in 2013, 14 or whatever, whenever it happened, who's going to direct Ant-Man. It's just sitting there ready to be made. And there were some, apparently some script rewrites that needed to be done and some pre-production stuff that needed to be done. They brought on, um, Paul Rudd and everybody was blown away. I was like, whoa! And then they go get uh, a director who's done a ton of, ton of TV and stuff like that. He directed some episodes of New Girl. He directed a lot of comedy stuff, some uh, HBO stuff for like uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David 
and uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, the movie perhaps you know him best for is Bring It On, the cheerleader movie. I love that movie. I grew up watching that movie. His name is Peyton Reed, and he directed Ant-Man. He also oh. directed Ant-Man Part 2. He has since gone on, like so many other people who are involved in the MCU, he's gone on to work with Disney and, um, whatchamacallum, uh, uh, John Favreau. Uh, to work in The Mandalorian. Pe- mm. Peyton Reed actually de- directed the last episode of Mandalorian that had, uh, spoiler alert, Luke Skywalker in it. Never heard of him. Yeah. So uh, so Peyton Reed is now like really working with Disney and, MC- and, and uh, Marvel and stuff like that, but this was kind of his first foray into this sort of genre. So... Uh, yeah, very exciting. Uh, uh, I think the uh, I, I will withhold my thoughts on the movie. You're but, good at that, thank you. But yeah, but I'm excited to get into it. I think it's a perfect little fun daytime movie. What else do you have to say about it? Is there anything you're looking forward to? Or no, not really. Do, do you I know mean, anything about Ant Man? No, I just watch. Look at this little blurb, and it says he can get small, shrink in scale, but increase in strength. So, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> Reminds me of Honey, We Shrunk the Kids. Yes, exactly. There's a little... The oatmeal cream pie. There's definitely a ton of those kinds of bits. Let's play with the size here, and let's get big, and let's get small, and do ride around in a Hot Wheels car, and some fun <laughs> stuff like that. That's Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah, fair enough. And then... Um, <laughs> Great movie. And then... Uh, it's fun, because there, in, in the comics, there's multiple Ant-Man men. There's... Oh. Yeah, there's and well, rather through time, mm. there's like there was one guy who was Ant Man, and then he got too old to be Ant Man, and <laughs> then another guy becomes Ant Man, and that they kind of play with that in this movie too. So, uh-huh. uh, pretty exciting, pretty fun. There's some cameos from uh, some other Marvel folks that you've seen that you already know in here, and then, uh, gosh, there was one other note that I wanted to throw out there. Uh, While you're trying to think of that, it says on here Master Thief, and there's a heist, so that'll be interesting. Yes. I don't know if we really had a storyline like that. Yeah, and that's once again, you know, Marvel playing with genre. They we've seen we've seen the '70s spy movie kind of thing with Winter Soldier. Uh, we've seen we've seen now we have like a heist type movie. We know that WandaVision from the trailers is like a sitcom. Like they just continue to play with genre. They're not bound by their different. You know, hey, let's make this fit into the mold of whatever. And that's really fun how they continue to play with this sort of stuff. So, oh, last thing I want to say about this. This movie had the best movie poster. Their one sheet for this was so spectacular. It was amazing. It was a full, it was a full size 24 by 36 poster. And right in the middle of it was a very tiny ant-man just smack in the middle of it and it was spectacular like you uh it it looked basically like this actually this is the teaser poster but here's what it looked like on the left hand side oh my gosh (laughs) it was just so great and like if you walk like if you're at the movie remember movie theaters if you were at the movie theater and you see this teaser poster in one of like the little thingies the, the display little, cases yeah, whatever yeah. you walk all the way up there and you look at him it's just a really small little man it's, it's probably like <laughs> perfectly detailed and oh it, it was just such an eye-catching poster i loved it and i was cool. i was like oh my god i can't like that's 
That's marketing right there, baby. Mm-hmm. I love it. So it says everything that we need to know about the movie. It's funny. It plays with its sense of scale and size, and uh, you're going to be entertained by it. So, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Here we go. I can eat my jerky stick now. I'm leaving that in. This episode of the Movie Quest podcast is brought to you by absolutely nobody. That's right. Thanks to nobody. I made all these episodes with the help of just Julianne. That's not to say that if you wanted to sponsor us, we wouldn't allow it. We would if you pay us. Right now, we're just having fun. Alrighty, Ant-Man is complete. Yes. I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. Do you really? Yeah. I'm excited to hear them. Okay, I, so how many how many ant, ants, how many Ant-Mans out of ten does this get for you? Uh, man, you know, honestly, I'm going to give that movie like an eight. Um, it's better than I remember it. I, you know, I like, I think I tend to gravitate to the, to the more serious, like, films that have bigger implications in the universe kind of thing and uh you know and i i don't really have any kind of connection with ant-man or anything like that but this movie's better than i remember and it has more connections to the wider mcu than i remember Mm, so uh yeah i actually had a ton of fun just now yeah i agree i i feel like i you said on the last movie we rated a six and i said oh me too yeah. but i would say an eight or an 8.5 i loved this movie nice and i think for the reason reasons opposite from you because you, i don't know you said you like the thing that i liked about this is that it wasn't super duper huge universe aliens in space and other universes like right. I, I like that story but not for every single movie and i liked how this was just like very relational and a lot of like real life connections and issues that people deal with on a day-to-day basis very sure. relatable like in that you want to steal um <laughs> you want to steal stuff and go to jail or no, what just like how there's the issue with the custody and the new stepdad and uh, the daughter who feels like she can't ever live up to her father and you know that kind of thing like just gotcha. a lot of very relational connections gotcha cool what else stuck out to you i liked the lighting and the filming, so I guess you'd call that the cinematography. Yeah, yeah, just, sure. You know, I was expecting Bring It On style, and I love that movie, <laughs> but, like, that movie is insane. It's about a bunch of insane cheerleaders. Um, so it wasn't really like that at all. I, I loved – there was I, – I don't know. There's so much that I love. I mean, once we go through it, you know, section okay. by section, I can kind of break it down. How did you like Paul Rudd? This is the first movie where Paul that I know of, really, that Paul Rudd is just not comedic. He's mm-hmm. doing a comedy. Yeah, there were a couple parts where I was like, okay, that was annoying Paul Rudd. But all in all, the first three-fourths of the movie, I really liked him. I liked how he was very genuine. He wasn't overacting in any sense of the phrase. And yeah, I thought he was really good. I enjoyed him. I I am I su- pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, I found myself forgetting that he was Paul Rudd for a little while at various mm-hmm. points. Because yeah. uh, he would do really Paul Ruddy things, but then... There were other times when he wasn't as Paul Rudd, and I was like, okay, this is great. Um, 
uh, I noticed and I pointed it out to you, I was like, God damn, Paul Rudd been working out a little bit. He mm-hmm. definitely uh, was kind of definitely a little cut at one point. I was like, all right, bro. He, he looks good. Yeah. There's a shirt off. Shirt off. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get uh, show off some abs and stuff like that. What did you think about Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly? I thought they were good. Evangeline Lilly was kind of didn't really have a lot of speaking parts towards the beginning, but then it got more. I thought she was good. She was emotional and it was believable. And yeah, um, I loved Michael Douglas. He's so solid. He's yeah, he's He's very believable. Yeah, he's cool, man. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know that we talked about that wig, or maybe that was actually Evangeline Lilly's haircut at the time, but that didn't that didn't do it for me. Yeah, her wig was terrible. Like you think by now that they would like, like I get the hairstyle, yeah, that, but like it's so obviously a wig. I actually don't know, but this might be a hairstyle from the comic books. That character. That's what I'm saying. Like the hairstyle's fine, but the execution is terrible. Someone gets paid. Probably a million dollars to get that right, and they did not. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, anything you want to talk about before we start going down the recap? Not really. Just kind of uh, the overall impression we just talked about. So Okay, let's jump in with uh, getting it started. So I totally fucking forgot about this, but we start off, I mean, it really, like, we hit play, and there was no opening credits of any kind. It was yeah. whammy. We are into it, and it's clearly the Triskelion. You remember this building? No. From Captain America, the Winter Soldier. This was the big base that S.H.I.E.L.D. had where the helicarriers were under it. Remember when the river opened up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's this. Oh, okay. But it's 1989, and it's under construction. And we have a fun scene with with young Hank Pym, and then John Slattery as uh, as uh, Howard Stark. And you love Slattery, right? I do. Um, my first thought was, wow, the CGI is terrible. Really? 100%. They, they, it's well, just so obvious. The whole point of CGI is to make it... For, for Michael Douglas. All yeah. three of them. They no, did, yes. Slattery wasn't aged. That's what Slattery looks like. That might be true. But the other guy who got his face hidden. Yes. Like, just why don't they just do some sort of thing where they pull their skin back and make them look younger? Like, I hate when they do the CGI. That's distracting. I think that the Russo brothers said when they had super old Peggy in um, Winter Soldier that they said that, you know, the technology is good enough now where we can sort of age people or de-age them. But also, like, it's way better than just doing a ton of makeup. Now they use a combination of prosthetics yeah. and CG. And so... No, oh, I don't like it. Well, all right. Fair enough. So, and then we had Peggy, who looked like that was just makeup, maybe. So mm-hmm. we know Peggy was still alive in 1980. Actually, we know that she's still alive now, and but she's mad old. So mm-hmm. in 1989, Peggy was still around. She mm-hmm. was working inside of S.H.I.E.L.D. We know mm-hmm. Hank Pym was a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he had some kind of invention that he wasn't letting anybody get his hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any guesses what was going on there at that first scene, or are you just kind of rolling with the punches? Yeah, just rolling with it. Um, I thought it was interesting, which I believe was the next scene where the young guy comes in. Right? Young guy. Darren, or whatever his name is. Oh, no, that wasn't quite the next scene. Oh. The very next scene, we have Scott Lang. He, it says, like, present day. Oh. And he is in San Quentin in upstate California. Punching and, people. Yeah, he's and... punching people, and he's getting out of jail. Looks like he's got some friends on the inside. Uh, yeah, so he breaks out of San Quentin, and uh, he meets up with his buddy, whose name is Luis, uh, played by the super great Michael Pena. I like uh, him. God, he just, didn't he steal this movie? Yeah, Every, every scene that he was in, stole it. Yeah, he's got great, great comedic timing. Yeah, he's really, really funny. So they, yeah, so they get back over to 
his place, which we know now is in they the movie primarily takes place in and around San Francisco, which we have a lovely connection to. Mm-hmm. Because I'm looking for you. Oh, <laughs> because one of the opening scenes is at the Golden Gate Bridge, and that's where Brandon proposed to me. Woo! September 24th, 2020. Getting things done. Um, and so, yeah, fun note to see, you know, northern the Marvel Universe goes to Northern California. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, we meet some of the, the goons that are in Luis's squad. He's trying to convince Scott to go back to the life of crime. Mm-hmm. But Scott's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going back to jail, bro. I want to see my daughter. I love her or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then he's working at Baskin Robbins. Yes. That was really, really funny. Yeah, that was funny. I like that. I, I wondered, like, how that conversation goes when... Marvel wants to use Baskin Robbins in their movie and like obviously like the manager was like a total weirdo like they're obviously portraying Baskin Robbins is like not necessarily the greatest place to work. Sure. So it's like, how does that conversation go? I don't know. That's actually a great question because like it's different to just do product placement because I'm sure you've noticed like the Acuras in various movies and like uh, the somebody, and yeah, Iron Man. Yeah, somebody had. Yeah, maybe that's one thing of the Audis and the Beats. Somebody was using wearing Beats in one of the movies. Yeah. So definitely product placement's a thing. But yeah, that's a good. How are we going to use the product and do we yeah. <laughs> shit all over it? But well, it's funny because the manager was like. Baskin Robbins finds everything. Or Baskin whatever. Robbins always knows. Always knows, and then he goes back to the apartment, and Ti's like, Baskin Robbins always knows. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's the good. first place where like out like post criminals yeah out of jail go to work. Yeah, they always know. So yeah, so that brings up literally my next point. So we some of the goon the goons in uh, Luis's squad. We have Ti. Mm-hmm. Was you like what the hell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. Tip. I was just like, what's up? And then we had um, Luis, and then... The Russian guy who was stupid, like... You didn't enjoy that? No, like, it actually pissed me off, because it's like, it was so bad. Like, I, like the accent was bad, they were, like, overplaying the stereo... I just hated that guy. So, what if I told you, that dude's name is David Dastmalkian, okay. and he's been in tons of stuff, sort of a character actor... He actually plays Peter DeVries in Dune. Hmm. Okay. The uh, Mintat for the Harkonnens. Hmm. He's super good. He's going to be super creepy and weird. Interesting. Yeah, he's also in Blade Runner 2049. He's in all kinds of stuff. He usually plays creepy guy. Uh, I thought it was annoying. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I thought it was really interesting how all of that, him not getting, you know, being able to get a job, and even when he did get a job, a very low-level paying job, they find out and they kick him out, even though he didn't, you know, do a violent crime. And then, you know, his friend Louise is trying to get him to go back to a life of crime, and he's really trying not to. He's, like, trying to pay attention to the things that he cares about in life to keep him straight. And that just really highlights how the system sets – um, post inmates out uh, up for failure. Yes, ex convicts do not; they are not rehabilitated in any way. They right. are simply it's all very much a punishment. You do your time and you get out, and good luck out and there. And you have buddy. no skills, nothing yeah. at all to help you or yeah. to be able to contribute contribute to society again. And that just feeds into going back to a life of crime. And yeah. I just think that's really sad. I think that we have definitely established, perhaps not on this podcast, but uh, the American criminal justice system's fucked up mm-hmm. beyond recognition. Yeah. But yes, anyway, back to Ant-Man. Um, so the next scene is what you had mentioned where Cross is introduced. That's uh, uh, Darren Cross, I believe was his name. He was Hank Pym's sort of uh, number two guy played by Corey Stoll. You may recognize him from Something. the first season of 
Kevin Spacey show. What's it called? Oh my God. House of Cards. House of yes. Cards. Yes. Oh my gosh. He's the guy that That's they ended him. up killing in the car and made it look like a suicide. Oh my gosh. That's right. That's you know him. who he reminds me of? And no. just faith, the way he looks and his mannerisms is the husband from, oh, it's the wedding singer. You know what? I don't know the wedding singer. I have it on DVD. We're watching it. It's so good. Maybe that's one of our next uh, next movie quests. Is I'm not, all, no, all not no. Movies, don't make me do it. Including the Netflix ones. I'm already going to hell when I die. I don't need to be in hell while I am on Earth. <laughs> um, no, but he, I don't know if anyone out there listening knows that guy. He reminds me of them. But yes, I. That's when I. That's what I wrote in my notes. I. That's when the storyline really kicked up for me and got me interested was like okay this old guy michael douglas you know knows something has something that he's keeping from darren right and darren's the young buck he you know he's excited he's young he's smart he has money and he he's wants trying to, to prove himself right and he doesn't understand the implications of the power of what he has and so i was like okay i'm yeah. I'm getting down with this. Yeah. I like this. So that was so this is the first time that we see the aged Michael Douglas mm-hmm. playing Hank Pym. You know, it's present day. It's 30 years since uh, 30 or 25 years since the scene the opening scene where they were at the Triskelion and uh, you know, he's he comes through the security gate and clearly he hasn't been in his own building quite. We see the Pym logo on the side and the security guard's like, "You're still alive?" Or actually, he says, is it really you? And he says, yes, I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. He goes through security, and the guy asks for his ID, and he's like, maybe that will suffice. And he points at his own portrait on the wall. Mm-hmm. But that's the first glimpse that we see of his keys. We see his keychain quite a bit in this movie. That's a bit of a uh, Chekhov's gun. Oh, I didn't even notice it's it. It's got the tank on his keychain. You see his keys it. like three or four times in this movie before the tank mm. gets made real big. Spoiler. And so... Yeah, so uh, they they meet there. Darren Cross is showing off uh, all kinds of stuff. He he's got like a mock up of the building that has the cro- a cross logo on it rather than the PIM logo. So it's clear that there's a bit of a hostile takeover situation going on. And I remember thinking like as he is, um, you know, showing around these investors and potential buyers with Hank there, he's making Hank aware of where the direction that he's taking the company, but he's doing it in a smart way because he's doing it publicly. So like with witnesses that aren't Hank, so that Hank can't refute any claims or anything like that. If Hank actually wants to keep this secret, he's got to tacitly acknowledge and give approval for Darren to do this, or he outs himself as the Ant-Man, which I found to be interesting. Mm. That was also our first meeting with Hope. And we see Hope is his number, Darren Cross is number two, but then shortly, like at the end of the scene, we learn that she's kind of the mole on the inside, still working for her dad, Mm -hmm. but also has the complete trust of Cross. So there's a little bit of a double agent situation thing going on here. And uh, yeah, so now we have this situation. And of course, what's happening is Darren Cross has developed the yellow jacket technology, which he's Mm -hmm. really close to shrinking things but not quite perfected it but he's made his own suit already Uh which makes me wonder i guess they made the suit full size and then shrunk that but they can't shrink down organic material Uh right that's why we have a bunch of lamb experiments and goat experiments and stuff like that yeah blast them into lamb goo yeah lamb. he also blasts a guy into lamb goo the one guy who like puts up his 
puts up a little bit of a fight. He meets him in the bathroom and turns him into goo and wipes him and flushes him, which is pretty gross, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I was just like, oh, God. All right, so um, Scott goes to his daughter Cassie's birthday party. How old was she turning? Did we remember this? Was she like seven or eight or something? Yeah, she was like a first grader or something. Okay, so um, he gets basically kicked out of the party, and he's not going to be able to see the daughter for like a year or whatever. He gets fired from Baskin Robbins, so now he needs. Wait, a wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I want to go back to this relationship. Do it between the dad or between Paul Rudd and the stepdad, okay? Because you know it's like you know the stepdad's like, I own this house, you're on my turf, and the dad's like, what the hell? Like I'm her dad, and the mom is kind of like you know on the stepdad's side, sure. and that's just like a very common relationship in our world and so no one really knows how to navigate it because you want to have the kids first but then you don't know how to like put your own feelings aside and so that was interesting because the mom seemed like she really wanted him to be back in the picture but it's like yo you gotta get a job you gotta get an apartment you gotta pay child support Um, and so it was nice to see that throughout the movie the stepdad actually really did care about Cassie um, and was like a good guy you know Absolutely. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. But yeah, Paul Rudd's definitely trying to have a relationship with his daughter, and I think that's nice. Yeah, it's he makes the point that the crime that got him thrown in prison was not a violent crime. Mm-hmm. He burgled, not mm-hmm. robbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that catches the attention of Hank Pym, of course, who it seems we want wants him for a job. It's hinted at pretty early that he might have a guy, because clearly Hank Pym's plan is to steal and destroy the technology for the yellow jacket and make sure that the power to shrink things uh, stays with him. So Yeah, and something that I like about that too is like Michael Douglas Michael Douglas or Dr. Pym is not trying to get the yellow jacket technology for his own power. He has he has the power of wisdom because he's lived through life and yeah. he's lived through, you know, we find out later the stuff with his wife and he's trying to just get it so he can destroy it. And I think that's really interesting. It's like, you know, the young, the young excited buck who is like uh, a, a new dog that like pees on everything and shakes his butt everywhere and an older dog that just like rolls its eyes, you know? Sure. What a metaphor. <laughs> um, to that end, about the wisdom, like, I really like the scene that I totally forgot about this when Cross was pointing out that the legends of Ant-Man, like, right in front of him, mm-hmm. and they were showing, like, the like the uh, Vietnam era and Cold War era footage of, like, you know, infiltrating Russian bases and stuff like that, and then they zoom in and show, like, a little bitty man. Yeah. I remember you, like, you, you chuckled during yeah, that Yeah, that was part. cute. That was cute. Yeah, so we get a nice little backstory, and of course it's implied that that was Hank Pym, so... You know, uh, Scott goes to his daughter's party, and you know he can't uh, he can't see his daughter anymore, so he's pushed back into that life of crime. And Michael Pena or uh, Luis is mm-hmm. he's like, all right, tell me that, give me that tip or whatever. So we get this is the first time this happens in this movie. Luis gets the chance to tell a story mm-hmm. where he's I guess they filmed this scene. And then played the dialogue from uh, the audio back to the other actors. They're acting out this scene. And this is where his girlfriend's cousin's boyfriend's guy plays softball with a guy who dates a lady who... Yeah, mm-hmm. the gossip train. Yeah. that Was that funny to you? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Yes. I mean, I think that is a telltale sign of the Hispanic culture. You know, they have a lot of 
cousins and brothers and aunts and uncles and you know it's like um they're all well connected they stay tight they yeah, stay yeah. tight they got their people um mm-hmm. and so uh you know the the end goal here is that there's a job possibly an old man has a safe little do we know that um this is all a setup from pim pim actually as we learn later in the movie slip somebody his housekeeper some money to tell some people to blah 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 and see if there's somebody who would actually be bold enough to do it and could get it so really this is all a test but scott takes the bait um he breaks in using some very oceans 11 techniques he does the bit where he does a fingerprint impression of the door and then, which is cool, and then he sets up a blanket to catch all the pins and screws. Yeah, I love the old-timey safe. That was cool. Yeah, and then freezes it, and he goes in. There's no jewels. There's no money. There's no gold. There's just what he calls an old motorcycle suit. Mm-hmm. So he gets it out of there, and he takes it back to um, the apartment, and he's fiddling with it. With it. Uh, we know that he, from earlier in the movie, he mentions that he has a degree, in, a master's in electrical engineering. So he's got some skills with electronics, and he starts fiddling with it to try to figure out what's going on, and he finally decides to put it on while he's in the bathtub. And that's when he first hits the button, and he shrinks down to ant size and becomes Ant-Man. And then we get a fun Mm -hmm. sequence where he goes from bathtub to dance party. He's on a vinyl record. He's running through the dance floor, and then he gets sucked into a vacuum and then shot out the vacuum, and he lands on a car outside. And the whole time, Pim is in his ear saying... Ah, give it a test run. What do you think? And so on. Yeah. That was the point where I really wished I was watching this in theaters. That would have been really cool. I bet people loved it. Oh, yeah. It was great. Um, And yeah, I thought it was really creative. I loved the dance scene. I thought that was so fun. Um, And I also think that it reminded me of... College. No. It reminded me of another Marvel movie... Oh, yeah. What was the last one we watched where there was... Oh, Ultron. Age of Ultron. Okay. What was that? Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah, that's a movie. Um, when, they, when Ultron gets, like, like zooms into his brain, remember? And there's, like, all the different images. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, zooms in. It was kind of, like, reminiscent of that, where it's, like, really, like, totally different than the rest of the movie. It, like, okay. zooms in. And I, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, the it's a pretty drastic change in the kind of tone of the movie when he goes into small land for the first time Mm -hmm. uh yeah super duper fun of course we get like the funny stuff that you would expect like the all the details on the um the drain in the drain plug in the bathtub and like the the um the whatchamacallit on the vinyl records like the grooves on the records he's holding onto that but then the centrifugal force throws him off of the record and yeah, super duper fun. I, I love that. I thought it was great. It freaks Scott out, and he tries to turn the suit back in. Yeah. And he gets busted. So they throw him in jail, and it looks like Pim poses as his lawyer to get him out of jail. And he's basically like, do you want a second chance? Then do what I say and wait for further instructions. So immediately afterwards, we have a bunch of ants that sneak the suit in for him. And so he puts the, and they do like a little countdown, countdown timer. That was cute. Yeah. And so he breaks out of jail and uh, immediately um, goes back to the house with Pim and he kind of sits down with them. Oh, actually, you know, he flies away. This is the first time he flies on a flying ant, the carpenter ant. 
And he falls from really high above San Francisco and he wakes up in the bed. Yeah, it's annoying how Dr. Pym didn't, like, start him out slow. Like, anyone who would fly that high as a miniature ant would pass out. Like, I wish that he would have made it a more of a pleasant experience. (laughs) That would be nice, but uh, it's not what we get, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. We, you know... I spoke a little bit last time about the physics of right, <laughs> letting a whole city like fly up in the sky. And obviously, mm-hmm. this is all fantasy technology. But I think the, the square cube law is in application here. There's not enough mass for an ant to build up to a velocity that would actually injure the way their bodies are made. So it's absolutely believable that an ant survives a fall from that high up. Mm-hmm. And... In theory, Scott, too, though, we don't really have exoskeletons like ants do. We have... We had a suit on. Anytime you would yeah. hit anything, it would be like, ding. <laughs> yeah. It would just... That's cute. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, he wakes up and Hope's standing over him and they he's got the uh, tropical bullet ant guarding the bed. And so, he gets up and goes and has some tea with Hope and Hank. And basically, we learn that the mission is to steal the yellow jacket. And Scott sees this as his opportunity to help see or help himself see Cassie more, but he also thinks that's completely crazy. He says, in fact, the first thing was, I think that what you should do is call the Avengers. This kind of rocked your brain a little bit, didn't it? It did. I, um, you know, when Brandon refers to the MCU. Um, what does it stand for? Marvel? Marvel Cinematic Universe. Universe. I knew they used it for universe. And, you know, they, every movie we've seen, like, that's the reality that they're living in. And, like, I knew that, but this was the first time where he brought up the Avengers. And I was like, wow, like, in his world, he hasn't seen a movie about the Avengers. He, the Avengers are real in his yes. world. And, like, so he must have, like, watched on the news when, in New York City, when the Hulk was tearing up, you know, New yeah. Brooklyn or whatever. and. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, like, or just uh, a, a second after that in the conversation between the two of them, he says something about, I tried to save, I tried to keep this technology from one Stark, and I'm sure as hell not about to hand it over to another one, referring right, right. to Tony. Mm-hmm. And he says something like, besides they're too busy dropping cities on places. Right. Obviously referring to the events in Sokovia mm-hmm. from the last movie. So Yeah, so that was, I like that. Yeah, that kind of melted your brain, huh? Like the in-universe acknowledgement that from somebody on the outside who's not a member of the Avengers. Right. So, of course, it, you know, we're laying the groundwork for an Avengers appearance later on in the movie, which is coming up. So, um, so yeah, they're going to steal the Yellow Jacket. So then we get like a fun um, training montage sort of thing where, um, you know, he's learning how to communicate with ants. He's learning how to throw a punch. Uh, Hope Van Dyne is teaching him how to throw punches. He's tinkering with the suit. What did you think about the ant stuff? Do you buy that at all? Was it fun or cute or anything? You know, I actually did love that and I did buy it. I thought, I think the world of ants and insects in general are so cool and so interesting. And it reminded me of a course I took in college and I totally just took it to fulfill a science credit, but it was called insects science and society and i was like this sounds okay i'll take this and i learned all about the insane world of honeybees okay. like they do go on. they do the this most this is now a honeybee podcast go they i won't go too far into it but they they have the most insanely primal 
evolutionary signals and communications with each other that is not learned. Like it's just ingrained in the bees about ways to communicate and like find food and protect the queen bee. And it's just crazy. And that's, you know, that course in college really opened my eyes to like the whole world of insects. And so I think it's cool that they like focused because ants are so cool and it's cool to like zero in on that. Uh, this is going to really set up well for later on in the MCU when we get to see the movie about B-Man. Shut up. Yeah, that, no, that's not real. I was like, there's not a B-Man. Uh, B-Man. With a B-Man. Mr. Um, B-Man. Huh? Mr. B-Man. Yeah, so, okay, so we do get some, like, fun stuff. You you pointed out a funny editing error with the punch, and I was like, hey, this is a film lesson. That's called mm-hmm. bad editing. Right? Yeah. There when Hope tries to punch him, and... It's like her fist is already extended, but then when the edit back, it's wrong. That's a little continuity error, and uh, that's fun. See, it's real humans making the movies. It's, yeah, people br- also get paid millions of dollars to double-check that stuff. Uh, you're not wrong, but uh, boy, have I got something for you. It's called Goofs on IMDb. You can go read trivia and goofs for every movie, and there are tons of them. It's greatness. Mm. Um, wait till I point out when a stormtrooper hits his head on the wall in Star Wars. Whoopsies. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's one part that's really key in this training montage where Hank talks about his wife. Mm-hmm. Where she, we kind of learned about this a minute ago because, you know, Hank makes a really big deal about not letting Hope become the person, become Ant-Man or Ant-Woman, I should mm-hmm. say. And, and pull this thing off because he doesn't want to lose her like he lost his wife, Hope's mom. Right. And so um, whether that's at this part or it's later, he essentially mentions that he lost her because she went too small. She fiddled with the regulator. Mm-hmm. And so um, he fiddled with the regulator. She fiddled with the regulator and went too small into the quantum realm, a place mm-hmm. where all time and space becomes different and weird. And, and everything you love is gone. Yeah, he kind of gets that far away look in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that was sad. Yeah, we definitely get that fulfilled later on a little bit, but we'll get to that. So anyway, training montage is over. Um, they do. He does talk about that shortly after in 1987. What happened was uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, that was his wife at the time, uh, were trying to save the United States from uh, an intercontinental ballistic missile or an ICBM. That was pointed at the United States, and so they couldn't get through the shielding on the exterior, so she went subatomic and went inside and helped save the world. She died a hero. Okay, then Wasp couldn't be Peggy. <laughs> That's right. Wa- yeah, tell your theory. Say that. I just thought for a Midway second, through the movie, you exploded. Yeah, I thought that maybe because he just vaguely said died in a plane crash, and my first thought was... Um, it was really how Captain America flew into the ocean on a spaceship. And so I was getting those confused and I was like, is his, is the wasp, his ex-wife Peggy? So you thought Peggy and Hank got together and had Evangeline Lily. And I just thought before I came to that conclusion, Oh my God, what if wasp and Captain America get together and he's like hooking up with his sister, half sister. Yes. Wait, no, it wouldn't be. It would be, her cousin. I don't know. Anyway, that doesn't happen though. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you. Fan know. fiction. Yeah, it really is. The MCU, MCU fans suffer from enough fan fiction already. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So um, then we have a scene, sort of at the end of the montage, where it's really his first foray into becoming have, having been Ant Man. He has a mission, and it's to get some kind of doodad, a MacGuffin, if you will. Uh, 
a MacGuffin. Yeah, he needs to get the Schmieder meter from some storage facility in upstate New York. And so, uh, turns out it's not a storage facility anymore. It's the Avengers headquarters. How did they miss that? I don't know. This whole well, scene. I know that they were using photographs from a long time ago. Yes. I guess you can't really just run drones over the Avengers. You probably like, I'm could. Sure their security is crazy. Close. You could at least Google Maps or something. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's fair. I mean, that's a good point. You could. You probably. They probably got that place sealed up, and you. It's just like any military installation right now. If you go look at Google Maps of military installations, it just shows a blank spot. Oh, weird. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, yeah, anyway, he lands on the roof, and they're like, well, it's got a giant A on the roof so that we, the viewer, know uh, what it actually is. Mm-hmm. But um, Falcon meets him on the roof, Aww, which was like fun. Him. Yeah, you you enjoy Falcon, so why don't you break down the scene between him and Falcon? So, yeah, he basically, I guess Falcon was on, like, security duty, and uh, Ant-Man's trying to fly in there, and, uh, you know... Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly are like, abort the mission. They're on the the radio. Yeah. And he's like, whatever, I can do it. And so he goes anyway. And then it's funny because at first Falcon can't see Ant-Man. And then Ant-Man is like, they can't, he can't see me. And he was like, I can see you. He can't hear me. I can can hear you. can definitely hear you and Um, see you. Yeah. And so, you know, surprisingly, you know, he's like calling, he's like, Falcon is obviously radioing to someone there, you know, he's a small man, he's shrinking and like no one comes to help him and like no secure you would think War that, base, that, so yeah. that was weird. But I, yeah, I have some problems with this because it feels like such a throwaway, right? Like we need to introduce the wider world of the Avengers and possibly set up the fact that Scott has connections to the Avengers now for future movies, perhaps. No spoilers, but um, yeah, it felt like a throwaway. It feel, feels like they could have, if, like, okay, if you have to get the Falcon in here somehow. There's probably a different way than you can that you could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he was on a promo tour in San Francisco, and while he's here, we gotta steal the flux capacitor from his Falcon suit to help mm-hmm. us, or something like that. You know, there's probably other ways they could have written this scene, mm-hmm. but and we got what we got. It is what it is. And let's move on. Yeah, and so we move on. So anyway, so we got the we got the Schmieder meter, and now it's time to actually get the heist. But before that, uh. Uh, what's his face? Bald guy. Cross shows up at the house. Mm-hmm. They have like a sort of a. He's all dressed like he's gonna murder. Yeah. He's like wearing leather and stuff. I'm like, okay, guy. I love wearing leather when I murder. Yeah, I mean, big time, obviously. Uh, and so, anyway, they kind of hide the plans from him. But the takeaway here is that he doubles and triples security for the big reveal uh, the night that Hank is supposed to go to there. Uh, facility and so and he was in on it the whole time we find out he knew that evangeline lily was there yes yes uh it turns out that's the case so Mm -hmm. he doubles and triples security and so they've got to kind of alter their plan a little bit they bring in the goon squad led by Luis, and so now they're going to do a bunch of different stuff to get in the building and they need computer guy and ti's doing his sort of thing and yada yada so um Luis leads them there in the van, and Ant-Man goes in via sewer tunnel, and Luis is dressed as a security guard. They have the funny bit about him not whistling, and then, of course, you see him right in the building. He's whistling as he's walking down the way. And we get another Chekhov's gun. He had mentioned that he was really good at punching earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. He punches out, like, five guys inside the facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, But long story short, 
um, inside the facility during the big heist, um, Cross goes nuts. There, it's very, it's very much a Mission Impossible type mission. Once Ant Man breaks in, they, you know, they uh, put the uh, they put the Schmeter meter inside the servers and short circuit them, which allows them to cut the lasers off. And uh, so he goes in very Ethan Hunt style from the first Mission Impossible movie. But right as he does, Cross is taking the yellow jacket suit out and having his big confrontation with Hank. Hank gets shot. But as we learn, he survives. Mm -hmm. And then Hope's got a gun. Everything's going crazy. Guys are getting punched out left and right. Um, Did you like this or was this too much action for you? No, I thought it was okay. I mean, it was kind of necessary. It gets annoying to me when it's like it just goes on and on and on. Um, but like, no, I thought it was pretty necessary. Yeah, I think it moved the plot along quickly because they didn't linger in one place or do the same thing over and over again. Like mm-hmm. they had the confronta- confrontation. We realize in this confrontation that Hydra is the purchaser. Yeah, and he's like, they're not as bad as they used to be. He's, they're doing some really interesting stuff. I'm God. Like, okay, Nazi sympathizer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think back to uh, Francis's quote from uh, from. Francis. The Departed, oh. when he says, they just do not stop having the mafia down in Providence. <laughs> they just do not stop having the Hydra over in Europe. Yeah. You know? You hate to see it. So, uh, Hydra, our old enemies, back again. They're almost got their hands on the yellow jacket stuff, so now the gravity of the situation is double. Uh, we got to get that suit. So, uh, of course, and you, knew, you must have known this was coming, but they escape on the helicopter. Hank escapes with the tank we finally see that Chekhov's gun pulled from the mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. He uh, he makes his tank big and they escape out of the building. Was that necessary or could they have just gone downstairs? Uh, I don't know. But they take a tank off of the third story, it looks like, and land it in the parking lot. Yeah. Well, it was funny because when Paul Rudd and Darren Cross start running after each other and then they're like in uh, Paul Rudd's home with, you know, trying to take Cassie, obviously Darren Cross was trying to bait ant-man in there he's like finally you're here or whatever and they're like fighting each other on the train set yes and it's so funny because like when it zooms in on them it's like this huge battle and it zooms out and it's just like like little toy trucks yeah, falling over i definitely and- wrote that note but we're not there yet oh man it's okay they they get on the helicopter oh god right? he's escaping the helicopter and you knew it was coming, but Cross finally puts on the yellow jacket suit and becomes bad guy. Creepy. And then he's shooting lasers all through his own helicopter. Yeah, that's a, a really bad idea. Awful, awful idea. Would not recommend it. Yes. So they end up in the suitcase, and we have suitcase fight <laughs> as the suitcase tumbles to the ground and it lands in a pool. So he says, I'm going to disintegrate you, and it plays Disintegrate by The Cure or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know that song, but... It's a funny little sequence with, you know, and there's like lifesavers and like there's phone cords and stuff in the briefcase. And, you know, we get a bit of the Home Alone, or not Home Alone, the um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kind of stuff where they're interacting with normal objects at super large size. Mm-hmm. They land in the pool and they have the sequence with the family that has to run out of the backyard and he gets caught in a bug zapper which is really funny right yeah and then he like brings it back to life like that would definitely kill him yeah definitely would short circuit his whatever yeah broke clearly physics the physics physics don't mean any sense make any sense here but yeah he he escapes and apparently the briefcase landed just a few blocks away from cassie's house and so they They've already got Scott arrested at this point, but uh, because he gets tased by the stepdad, mm-hmm. and so they've got him in the back of a cop car. But 
they get a radio that there's a, some kind of breaking and entering type of situation at their house. So mm-hmm. they go over there, and yes, to the point that you we get the fun sequence on the train with the toys in the bedroom uh, where it looks like this crazy wild sequence with all this lasers everywhere and loud music and he's throwing like Legos at this guy. Yeah. And then he yeah, zo- was cute. zooms out and it's just pew, pew. Mm-hmm. one note that I had right there is that sound coming from his lasers in maybe in this sequence only, or maybe I didn't notice it beforehand, but I was definitely picking up, TIE Fighter and X-Wing noises from Star Wars. I don't know if this was a little Star Wars Easter egg or whatever, but there are definitely some Star Wars sound effects right in this in this sequence. So but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean we we uh anything else to say about train set thing? We get Thomas the train ain't Thomas the train that uh, explodes out the front window and lands in the front yeah, yard. Yeah, and, and earlier in the movie, he, he makes the the gnome get big too, and I lol'd <laughs> about that. So I, when you said, was it necessary for them to blow up the tank, you know, and it comes off the third story? I thought, you know, it was funny because other stuff were blowing up too, like the ant blew up, and when we say blow up, we just mean blow up in size. Yes. Um, and then the Thomas the train, and so I mean, it, I think they did it enough. If they would have like kept yeah. doing it, it would have been annoying, but sure, I was all right. Um. Yeah, so we, we kind of end this by going full circle. Uh, we, we got the subatomic quantum realm kind of stuff earlier in the movie. And this is the part where he he decides that the way to beat Yellow Jacket is to go subatomic and get inside of his suit and tear it apart from the inside. So just as he's about to basically kill the whole family or whatever, Ant-Man goes quantum and destroys his suit, which makes him like, turn into like a little bitty uh, ember burning in the uh, the room. But uh, Ant-Man goes quantum. What do you think about the zoom in? And it got real, like there were fractals everywhere. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Another moment where I thought I, I wish I would have seen it in the theater. And it was nice because when he knew he was going subatomic, he was like, I love you, Cassie. So it was like everything he's doing is for his daughter, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was really cool. I couldn't even like explain it to you if you asked me to like to – say what I saw, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild, Whoa, man. Science, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then he puts the, one of the big, big boy discs in mm-hmm. his regulator, I guess is how that science works. And, uh, you know, it makes him go to regular size again or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, and now he's back and that's basically the end of the movie. Um, he kind of puts a bow on everything. Um, it turns out at the end of the thing, I think that we're left with here is that, Luis gets the chance to tell another story, and we learn that through his cousin Ignacio was dating this really fine girl who's a reporter for blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that Falcon is definitely looking for him. Mm. So the Avengers want to know who Scott Lang is. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of where we leave the movie. Um, we get some. Uh, we get an after the uh, credit sequence where. Uh, Hank finally believes in hope enough and is he realizes that maybe he won't lose her because she's great mm-hmm. and he introduces the prototype suit that he had been working on with uh, Hope's mother and it was the wasp suit mm-hmm. which looked really cool didn't it? Yeah it did I'm excited. So I mean as you can see here this, this is not the next movie in the sequence but the very next Ant-Man movie is called 
Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yep, so she, you know they're coming back for it. So, yeah. Um, so there you go. And then I did, Oh, wait, and they kiss at the end. So oh, yeah, they did. So relationship happening. They did. So. There's definitely a little something going on What here, happens but. when you uh, procreate an ant with a wasp? Flying ants, maybe? Ants with a stinger? Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, that is You bad. don't want that. Nope. We'll All right. Anything else to say about Ant Man? You had fun. Yeah, I liked it. It was really, really good. I enjoyed it, and I was pleasantly surprised. And it just reminds me that when I go into a movie, not necessarily super excited, just to keep an open mind. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I've been doing that for every single movie, and you know, sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised, sometimes I'm unpleasantly surprised. So this was a good one. I liked it. Good. I'm glad I would, to hear. Would recommend it. it. Good. I'm glad to hear that you dug it. I dug it more than I thought I would, and, and that's that's exciting. Now we're taking a break from Marvel for a couple weeks, mm-hmm. uh, probably just like two or whatever, and then we'll come back strong as we start phase three of the MCU. And how many movies are in that one? <sighs> Man, I mean, close to ten. Okay. Like, we're more than halfway through this whole thing, but like the MC- phase three, they still have, we have a, quite a bit of story to tell, and there's quite a few new characters that still haven't been introduced, and then we kind of start approaching the end game. So I'm excited. I'm here for it. Very, very exciting. So, all right, cool. Say bye. Bye. And with that episode of the movie quest podcast presented by nerd hyphen nexus.com, we have finished phase two of the MCU. Make sure you keep tuning in as we forge ahead into phase three And be on alert, because here pretty quick, we are going to announce the topic of Season 2 of the Movie Quest Podcast. That's right, we're not just doing the MCU. We'll be delving into some other Movie Quest type of situation in which we discuss the films of maybe an actor, maybe a director, maybe one year of Academy Award winning movies. I don't know. If you have a suggestion, please find us online at nerd-nexus.com or find us on Twitter at nerdnexus or on Instagram at nerd-nexus. And just, uh, you know, interact. Make some suggestions. Ask some questions. Maybe we'll answer them uh, after the episodes in Phase 3 of the MCU Movie Quest podcast. And on a final note, shout out to Matt Glenn from the Woodlands, Texas, who dared me to mention him in the podcast. You thought I wouldn't, you son of a bitch, but I did, because I'm bold and I don't care. Anyway, we'll see you next time, nerds.